Turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 to 28 this morning, but I want to remind you that a couple of weeks ago, I told you that we saw that God reveals and creates and rules his kingdom by his word. And he's made this kingdom that uh, I'm using a definition that someone else came up with. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And uh, so as we use that kind of framework, which we'll see through, we can see through the whole Bible, but we're going to see it in Genesis we're kind of unpacking each of those things here in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, last week, Eric talked about God's place, all that God created. And so this week, we're going to start to look at God's people who live in God's place. Who are these people? And how does God describe them? What are they like? So if you'll stand with me, turn to Genesis 1, and we will hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Hear the word of the God who loves you. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, um, we come to this oh, well-known and powerful and rich um, few verses in Genesis chapter 1, and <laughs> we, we, we tremble at your word. I tremble before it because there's just no way, Father... There's no way that we can unpack all that's here, and we're going to start to, we're going to try to scratch the surface, but uh, would you help us, help us, young and old, to have a little better grasp of what it means to be people made in the image of God? Uh, would you encourage us by that good news this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I thought about this sermon this week, um, I decided that I wanted to write this sermon for my grandchildren. I, I don't have any grandchildren, just in case you were worried. Um, I don't have any grandchildren, but uh, I thought of them a lot this, this week as I looked at this passage. Um, my heart resonates with the psalmist in Psalm 102. 18, who said, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. So 
Um, I'm going to, this is not that I would preach this sermon to my grandchildren, but this sermon is going to help me uh, prepare for and practice some things that I want to tell them one day. So what, what made me think of my grandchildren? Well, the book of Genesis, in fact, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five of these first books of the Bible were written to the children and grandchildren of that first generation that God rescued by the hand of Moses from Egypt through the Red Sea. And so it made me think, you know, as I was trying to think, who, who, was, who were the original hearers of Genesis 1, 26 to 28? And why would they need to hear it? It made me think of my grandchildren. And as I do this... Um, Maybe it'll help you with your children and grandchildren. And I want to say to all my young friends in the room this morning, uh, this is for you. I want you to really pay close attention uh, to what we're going to say here in the next 30 minutes. This is for you, but that doesn't mean we adults need to check out because it all applies to us as well. Um, it was important for that generation to hear Genesis 1, 26 and 28, because they were about to go into a land where they would feel the pressure to, be, to believe lies about who God is and about who they are. Um, the people in the land of Canaan worshipped over 200 gods, um, many of whom, by the way, were related to one another. So these must have been southern gods or something, I don't know. Um, but when you read the histories of the gods of Canaan, uh, it, it sounds like you're watching a reality TV show that's called Keeping Up with the Canaanite Deities or something like that. I mean, they, were, they lived a life of ease and slumber. They were whiny and grumpy. They were either fighting with each other or sleeping with each other. They were constantly competing to see who was the best. Um, and since they were... These were gods now. Since they were too weak to care for themselves, they created humans to care for them and to provide them food and, and their daily needs. And then if the humans failed these gods, the gods were quick to anger and slow to mercy. Now, you may be hearing that and thinking, well, we don't live in a culture that has over 200 gods. Well, that's debatable, but... Let's assume you're right, not those kind of gods. Um, why do we need to hear Genesis 1, 26, and 28? Because we, we too, feel the pressure to believe the lies of our culture about who God is and who we are. These lies come from the outside, but these lies come up from the inside when we're confused about who we are, when we're confused about who we are in relationship to God, if there is one. And so, um, it's important for us to know who, we, who God is and how we were made in his image. I want to say to my grandchildren one day, here's what you need to know to live as God's people in the place God puts you. You need to know this. You were made in the image of God. And because of that, 
You have dignity, you have a design, and you have a destiny. That's, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Dignity, design, and destiny. And so I want them to know, first of all, listen, little ones, because you're made in the image of God, you have dignity. I remember when I was a little fella uh, going to the Davis family reunions in Wilmington, North Carolina, and some of the older folks there would say, well, boy, you're, you're just the spitting image of your daddy. It's like, he what? He spit what? Um, and it was just their old-timey way of saying that there was something about me that reminded them of my dad. There's something about me that reflected who they knew my dad was, something about me that resembled him. And, and they looked at me as one who re- represents my dad and, and the Davis family. They, they would say, no doubt he's a Davis, look at him. Now, of course, to me, it was good news to hear that I was the spitting image of my dad. And then how much more should it be good news to us to hear God say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Because, friends, you were created by God to reflect and resemble and represent him. And so I, would, I, I want to say to my grandchildren, and I say to you this morning, you have dignity, first of all, because you reflect God. Uh, the word image that Moses used here refers, refers to an artistic depiction, and the word likeness refers to uh, something that is a similar pattern, a likeness. And there's no need uh, to try to make a big difference between these two words. They're synonyms. They basically mean the same, and they go together. In fact, Moses only uses the word image in verse 27. This is the only time he uses likeness in this case, uh, in this passage. And so what God is saying is this, let's make man as an image like us. We've created all these other creatures. Now let's create a different kind of creature, one that reflects our image, one that's like us. I once heard an artist say, there's always something of the artist in his art that makes the artwork uniquely his. God created human beings as works of art to reflect something of what he's like. And when... uh, King David meditated on Genesis 1, and he wrote Psalm 8, which we started our service with this morning. He said this. He said, you made man a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. It was God's glory and honor that he gave to men and women, crowned them with it. So I want to tell my my grandchildren, listen, think about the sun. Don't look at it directly, but think about it. Uh, The sun has this fiery glory in itself that the moon doesn't have. Yet God made the moon to reflect that fiery glory to the earth. So, God, whose glory and goodness is all his own, chose to make you, little one, to reflect his goodness and glory to the world. And then I'm going to show them verse 27. And I want to say, look what the artist did. This was a stroke 
of genius. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That's a stroke of artistic genius. And to my granddaughters, I will say, God made you as a female to reflect his goodness and glory in a way that a male cannot. To my grandsons, I will say, God made you as a male to reflect his goodness and glory in a way that a female cannot. And I will tell them, the world you've been born into will try to tell you that your femaleness and your maleness are either too, too much or not enough. They'll try to tell you that it's, you're too much or not enough. They will tell you to despise your maleness and femaleness. They'll tell you to revise it to fit how you feel. And when they do, little ones, you're going to have to trust in his infinite wisdom God made you a boy, or God made you a girl, for the most amazing purpose ever, to reflect something about his goodness and about his glory to a world that needs to know who he is and what he's like. It was an artistic stroke of genius, little one, for God to make you a boy, for God to make you a girl. There's a reason for it. Trust him. So, I'll tell them they have dignity because they reflect God, but I'll, I'll tell them they have dignity because they resemble God in a way. Not physically. So then, if not physically, how? How do they resemble God? How are they, in what ways are they his spitting image, so to speak? Well, several things. Listen, I'll tell them, like God, we are personal beings. The God who made the universe is not some kind of impersonal power or, or the Star Wars universal force or anything like that. No, he's a personal being. He, we've seen in Genesis 1 already, he speaks, he creates, he blesses, he relates. And so do you because you're made in his image. You're a personal being. And like God, you're a rational being. God thinks, therefore, we think. J.I. Packer said that Genesis 1 uh, presents creation as the work of a mighty mind. The work of a mighty mind who has plans and carries them out. God said, let there be, and there was. So we, like God, have purposes and plans. And I want to say to my grandchildren, do you understand how amazing it is that your mighty mind was made by the mightiest of minds? himself. They're rational beings. And then, and I'll have to define all these words for him at some point, but like God, we're volitional beings. That means we have a will. We make choices. God wanted to make mankind, so he said, let us make man. Now, for us adults, we know that that means we have agency. Uh, We're able to do things that we decide to do. And it's important for my grandchildren to know and for me to remember 
that like God, my choices will make a difference in my world. So, we're personal beings, we're rational beings, we're volitional beings, we're like God, but like God, we're also moral beings. We're moral beings. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about how through Jesus we will be restored to the image of our Creator. And what will, be, what will we be restored to? He says, the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness. We were made to reflect God's righteousness and holiness. We're moral beings. So that means we were made to think righteous and holy thoughts, to make righteous and holy plans, to have righteous and holy purposes, and then we're to choose to do what is right and holy. Friends, I want to tell my grandchildren, I'm telling us this morning, who we are and what we do matters. It matters. Now, there, there are other ways that we resemble God. We have power, we're created, we're spiritual being, beings. I can't get into all of them today, but, but those are some. And so I want to tell my grandchildren one day, God made you a personal spiritual being who thinks and makes choices and creates. You resemble him in so many ways. You're not an animal because none of the animals resemble God like you do. None of them were made in his image. And you don't have to craft an image for yourself that resembles the most popular kids in school or the latest viral social media influencer or your favorite athlete or artist. You already resemble the most significant being in the universe. So, you have dignity because you reflect God and you resemble God, but also because you represent God. This word for image, this Hebrew word for image is selim. T-S-E-L-E-M, selim. Um, in the ancient Near East, being made in the image of God was reserved for idols and kings. Um, idols were images. They were selims. Uh, that were placed inside the temples of the gods to serve as a representative of that god. That image was there to represent the power and presence of that god. And it worked the same way for kings. Kings couldn't be present in every part of their kingdom, so they multiplied images of themselves to fill the kingdom with representatives of their power and presence in those places. So, you go to this part of the, the kingdom and you see an image of the king, you know that he rules that part of the kingdom because the representative image is there. And the reason God's people were commanded not to make images of God is because God had already made images of himself, us. And so I want to tell my grandchildren, you're an image of the creator king. He made you to represent him wherever you go. The God who created everything says to you, 
I want you to live to reflect me, to resemble me, to represent me as you take the power and presence of my kingdom to every place I put you. I want my grandchildren, I want you to know that because you're made in the image of God, you have dignity. It's a dignity that you don't have to earn. It's a gift. You don't have to go out and achieve it. You just need to receive it. But I also want them to know, and I want you to know, that because you were made in the image of God, you have a design. You have a particular design. Um, I can't wait to tell Abby and Micah and Anna's kids that their moms and dad were uh, once a part of one of the nation's greatest high school marching bands of the early 2000s. And I'm not kidding. It's true. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I can't play anything but a radio. Um, but they were, and I can't wait to tell, my, tell their grandkids and try to look up videos on whatever YouTube is at that point in the world, but, and watch them and stuff, and I'm going to remind them, and I think I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell them, hey, tell Abby's kids, your mom, I'll tell the other kids, your Aunt Abby, uh, when, when she was in the middle of marching band her freshman year, she came home one day, both exhausted and exhilarated at the same time, and she said, she said, Dad, I'm so tired, it's so hot. But I love band. It's so amazing that I get to do something amazing together with people that I love and enjoy, my best friends. We get to work together to create something beautiful that other people get to enjoy. That's what she said to me. And I said, Abby, that's it. That's awesome. That's what you and your friends were made for. That's why you enjoy it so much. You were made in the image of a God who is a relationship and who rules? She's like, huh? Let me explain. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are a relationship that rules over all creation to make something beautiful that others get to enjoy. God is a community of persons on a mission to do something amazing that matters. That's what you and your friends are doing. And that's why you love it so much. Because you're made in the image of the God who is a community on a mission to do something amazing that matters. She was like, cool, what's in the fridge? You know, but, but that's true, and we've talked about that since then. And so I want to tell my grandchildren, you were designed by a God, and you were des- a, a God who relates and rules, and you were designed to relate and rule. And I'm, I'm going to look at this real quickly because I think we're going to come back to it in the coming weeks. But you were designed to relate. I want to tell them you were designed to relate to God and to other people. First of all, with God, where, where do I see that in Scripture? Well, we see it actually in Genesis 3 that we'll get to in a few weeks. Um, you see the loss of this relationship with God. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden 
in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And so this describes something incredible that's now lost, some kind of walking with God in the garden, being in the presence of God, communion and fellowship with God that had to have been a thrilling experience for them. I don't know how God walked in the garden. He doesn't have a body, but whatever, somehow he was with them in a very personal, present way. Um, But that had to have been amazing. They were made for that. and That's why in Psalm 8, King David is reflecting on those first parts of Genesis, and he says, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him and that you care for him? He knows that God's mindful of man and that he cares for man. He doesn't understand why. It's because we were made for a relationship with God. And we know that this larger story that God is writing ends in Revelation 21 and 22 in a garden city where God will dwell with man and they will be his people and God himself will be their God with them, with them. So we were designed, I will tell them, we're designed for a relationship with God, but we're also designed for a relationship with people. Well, that's a little more obvious from what we've read. Male and female, he made them, so there's, there's more than one of them, and, and there's some distinction between them. There's something different. We're made for a relationship with people who are equal but distinctly different. And then in Genesis 2.18, we'll come to it eventually, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam had God, and yet God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He needed other humans. We were made to reflect in our relationships the relationship that the Father and the Son, and the Spirit have with one another. It's a relationship of equal but distinct persons who love and honor and serve one another. That's what the Trinity does. And we were made in their image to have those kind of relationships. Uh, one, One of those dead guy scholars said it this way. He said, the image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being. However, however richly gifted that human being may be, it can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. Let me say that again. It can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. So even with billions of people relating to one another, we just get a glimpse of the glory of the image of God. And so, since we were made in the image of a relationship, we all long for true relationship. That's what I want my grandchildren to understand. It's going to explain so much to them about why relationships uh, cause them so much joy and heartache all at the same time. Because we were made for relationship. We are all made, uh, as I used to tell middle schoolers, to be something special to someone. That's what we were made for. But 
We were also designed to rule. What does that mean? Well, Genesis 1.28 says that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the birds and over all the creatures. And King David, uh, meditating on that truth in Psalm 8, said this, you made man a little lower than God. You made him a ruler. We're all made to rule, and it's not the kind of rule that we're used to seeing. Um, It's not the kind of rule that uses its power or creativity only for its own self-interest. It's a rule that wants to do something special with what it's been given for the sake of God and others. And humans are amazing, aren't they? Um, we, we are given uh, all of the resources of creation to subdue, and as we're learned in chapter 2, to, to guard and to keep and to cultivate, and the cultural mandate, we'll get to that. Um, but humans have this amazing power made in the image of God to rule creation, to do something special with it. I read this week uh, that someone has trained rats to find landmines. They, they've taken these rats, and since birth, they've trained them into an elite team of landmine detection specialists. And to date, they have sniffed out 150,000 explosive devices. These rats weigh about three pounds, which that's a big rat, um, but it's, it's kind of like a small kitten. So it's, it's big enough to do the job, but light enough not to set off a landmine. And they've trained them to go sniff out landmines. And because of that, uh, they've been able to safely deactivate and remove these Uh, landmines, and across seven countries in Africa and Southeast Asia, they've had a uh, a paw in in returning 70 million square meters of land back to the communities they need. Some human thought, I'm going to use my powers to subdue creation for the good of others. That's pretty cool. I I had coffee with someone recently, and uh, he was telling me about how he is a software developer. I was like, okay, it's already out of my league right now. Um, And it was so fun to watch the look on his face and the smile on his face when he was telling me about what he does as a software developer, how he writes code. Um, And uh, it's like a whole other language that very few of us will ever understand, but he writes this code so that it will develop this product, and I can't tell you what it is or, or the government will kill us all, um, but he develops this thing that helps save people in the water all over the place. It's like God has stamped his image in us to make us people who rule the resources we've been given for the sake of doing something good for others. So I want to tell my grandchildren, you are designed to relate and rule like the God who made you in his image. I want to tell them the reason you want to be someone special to someone is because he designed you that way. 
the reason that you want to do something special with your life, and you should, is because he designed you to rule over what he's given you and create something amazing for his glory and the world's good. I want to teach that to my grandchildren. So I want to teach them that they are, uh, they have dignity and design. And now some of you may be thinking, all right, listen, Jim Jim, because that's going to be my granddaddy name, Jim Jim. Um, Listen, Jim Jim, you're going to have to tell them the rest of the story at some point. Yes, we're made with dignity and design, but there is a dark plot twist to the story, right? Are you going to tell them about that? Yeah. I'm going to tell them that our original parents, Adam and Eve, turned on God, and they used their God-given, image-bearing, thinking and choosing and moral powers to listen to and follow a creature instead of their creator. That's what they did. And I'm going to tell them that this act of rebellion disconnected humans from the God who made them in his image. It didn't remove, it didn't remove humanity's dignity. It didn't change humanity's design. But it took away humanity's righteousness and holiness and left us with what we call depravity. Everything is now turned in on ourselves. And so now we look for our dignity apart from God. We try to live our design and to relate and rule apart from God. That's why everything's a mess. So yes, I, I need to tell them about that. But I'll also tell my grandchildren that even after the fall, humans still have the dignity and design of being made in, in God's image. It's like a shattered windshield on a car. The glass is still there, but it's so damaged that it will no longer function properly until someone restores it. As someone has said, and you may have heard this before, the image of God has been in us has been defaced, but not erased. It's been defaced, but not destroyed. Now, how do we know this? Well, after the fall in Genesis 9-6, God said, whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God is still saying this after sin and in the, in the midst of sin. God is saying man is made in God's image. And then James, the brother of Jesus, picks this up in, in James chapter 3. He says, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison, With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. The fact that we kill and curse one another shows that the image of God has been defaced in us. But even after the fall of humanity, God says people have value because the image of God is not erased. Someone put it this way. The result of sin, therefore, has been not the complete loss of the divine image, but rather its thorough corruption. The marvelous faculties God has given us are now employed in the service of sin. So yes, I will tell them that bad news. And it will help them make sense of themselves and of their world. But I will also tell them there's good news. 
that God had a plan for restoring and renewing people in his image all along. I'll tell him that since the first Adam failed to live as the righteous and holy image of God, God himself came in human flesh as the second Adam, Jesus. Jesus reflected and resembled and represented God perfectly in our place. Jesus related to God and he related to people perfectly in our place. Jesus ruled over everything and everyone God gave him perfectly in our place. And then this Jesus, whom God called the image of the invisible God, whom Hebrews says is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, this righteous and holy second Adam died in our place for our failure to live out our dignity and design in righteousness and holiness. And I will tell them that Jesus promises that if they will follow him, trust in him, rest in all that he is and does for them, he will restore and renew them in his image. He promised he will do it. And so, they will know, I will tell them, that because you are being renewed in the image of God in Jesus, you do have a destiny. God's not done with you. I want to go back to what Paul, how Paul talked about the likeness of God in Ephesians 4. <laughs> Paul said, now this I say, and testify in the Lord. And this is what I would want my grandchildren to know. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, Paul says. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, there is hope for us to not live like the rest of our culture that has no idea what it means to be made and to live as one who's made in the image of God. Um, and I will encourage my grandchildren to open the Gospels and to look at Jesus and to say, here he is. This is what it looks like to live as one who's being renewed in dignity and design. I will say to them, you live in a culture that says your dignity is something you can achieve for yourself, but God says your dignity is something you receive as a gift from him through Jesus. I will tell them, you live in a culture that says design yourself. What you feel is what you are. But the God who loves you and created you is renewing his image in you, and he says, I designed you, so I know how to redesign you. I know you feel broken on the inside, 
You are, and I can redesign you. You can't always trust what you feel you are, but you can always trust what I say you are. The the world says, you do you. God says, no, you do Christ in you. And I will say to them, you live in a culture that says, create your own destiny, become something great. And then it tells you that you're never enough. Be something great. Eh, good try. Because someone else's destiny, they will always tell you, is better or brighter than yours. Or they'll cancel you if you don't live up to their version of the destiny they want for you. Or they'll tell you, well, actually, there's no real ultimate destiny. When you die, you're done. So just live for now, whatever that looks like. But the God who loves you, I will tell them, and created you and is renewing you into his image says, look at my son Jesus. He is your destiny. He is your destiny. Live in him and you will become like him. Wait for him and you will live with him forever. One day I want to take my grandchildren to see the Alamo. Remember the Alamo? I've been there several times. Really cool. If you're, if you're if San Antonio is a cool town. I want to take them to the Alamo, and I want to look for a picture that I've heard is hanging there that I never looked for before, and I don't know if it's still there or not. But apparently, there's a picture that uh, used to hang on a wall near the main entrance of the Alamo, and it's a portrait with the following inscription written under it: James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family so that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. I want to tell my, my grandchildren. You are being renewed in the image of Jesus, your creator and king, the one who loved you and gave himself for you so that people may see in you the image of the man who died for their freedom. Father, would you uh, remind us again, I mean, a lot of these things are are not necessarily new, but... uh, They're no less true. And uh, I need your help to believe that this is what you're doing in me, not just my children and my grandchildren. This is what you're doing in all of us at Mountain Fellowship. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you please, by the power of your spirit, renew us into your image. Help us to look at you and to remember Um, that's who we're becoming. And as the Apostle John said in 1 John, um, we are the children of God, and one day we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Oh, thanks be to God that that's true. Encourage us to believe it. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen.